So maybe the point is, if you want to bust the move, we have a place for you to serve. Maybe that's the point. So thanks, guys. Um, well, my name is John Miklas, and I'm the lead pastor here at CCC. It's great to have you here with us this morning. I want to say a special welcome to our guest, um, as well as to those who call CCC their church home. Uh, before we jump into the message this morning, a couple things I want to highlight uh, for you. Easter is coming. It'll be here in just a couple of weeks. Um, our guys have some cards that they're passing out uh, to everyone, the invite cards. So um, guys, if you want to grab those and distribute, go ahead and distribute those. We want to give those to you so you can have them with you just to remind you of a couple of things. Um, the first is when our services are going to be. We're going to have services at 8, 9.30 excuse me, 8, 9.45, and 11.30. That's when the services will take place, 8, 9.30, and 11, excuse me, 8, 9.45, and 11.30. I should just read the slides instead of trying to do it from memory. Uh, also, just a reminder to go to our website, cocalico.church, and uh, sign up for the service that you want to attend. Um, as you can see, we're pretty full. First service, exactly the same. So Easter, we'll have a lot of guests. We want a seat for everybody. And so if you're inviting guests, which we encourage you to use this card, invite someone to come and join you, family member, friend, coworker, um, register for them as well. They don't have to do anything, print anything out, bring anything with them. It just helps us to make sure everybody has a seat, and that's what we want to make sure of for Easter. A uh, quick update about Johnny, one of our pastors who six weeks ago was in a very serious car accident. Uh, Johnny went on another field trip this week. Uh, he's recovering from a traumatic brain injury, so he went on a field trip to the mall. He lasted a little more than an hour. That's about good for most guys, wouldn't you say? He lasted an hour, you know, so that's about, that's coming back to normal, right? Um, but he was able to be there with his wife and uh, walk through the mall, and that was pretty meaningful. And uh, the other good news we got is that he's going to be able to go home this week, so we're very excited about that. That's kind of an amazing thing. We're excited. So that's the next big hurdle is for him to go home, and one of our prayers is that he'll be able to recover to the point he can take care of his family, and that's going to be a long journey. So we don't know when or where or how he'll be able to be back with us, so please keep that in your prayers. Uh, we're just trying to monitor what he can handle at this season of his recovery. Um, please be especially in prayer for Susan, his wife, and then Leah as uh, he'll be adjusting back home, and they'll be responsible for his care around the clock at this point, whereas they had the nursing staff to do that as well. So he'll be continuing physical therapy, all different kinds of therapies, numerous times during the week as well. well last month, we had a teaching series entitled Bad Dates, Roommates, and Soulmates, and uh, Roddy began that series by looking at a passage of Scripture um, that talks about love. It's a passage that many of us have probably heard and recognized, and um, we'll get that passage up there on the screen. It's from uh, 1 Corinthians um, Okay, that's, there we go, there we go. No, we're not done yet, we're not done yet, guys, so. Um, love is patient, kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. And this is, these are verses you might have heard read uh, at a wedding or spoken at a wedding. It's a place we commonly hear them. But do you remember the first time you heard about this concept of love? The first time someone said, I love you. Now, your grandmother doesn't count, you know, or mom and dad, that doesn't count. But, uh, you know, that girl that you had your heart set on or the guy that made your heart flutter, the first time you heard that from them. Do you remember where you were? Do you remember the impact of that? 
Um, I remember the first time that I, I didn't hear it, I had it written from my wife. It took a little longer to, get her, to hear it, but I remember the first time she communicated that to me. And, and if you were to ask me, I could tell you the setting I was in and the place I was at, and I could describe it in great detail. I can visually see it in my mind right now as if it just happened yesterday. And this was significant for me because in my family growing up, we ne- I never heard those words. Didn't hear those words from parent to child, didn't hear those words from parent to parent. Never heard those words spoken. And so for me to have someone say to me that they loved me, it was very significant. It was very impactful for me, but I really didn't understand the concept of love. And it's been a lifelong journey for me to not only understand it, but then even to feel comfortable enough to just say it to my wife on a daily basis or to my kids or to the, fa- to the family and friends that I know, um, and some who've never said it to me in a lifetime, but now I'm saying those things back to them. And so this concept of love is one that's hard for me to wrap my mind around. It's one thing to try to understand love of another person. It's a totally separate thing to try to understand the love of God. What is it like for God to love me? And while I understand the big idea that God loved the world, and that's why He sent Jesus to die on the cross, what does it mean that God loves me, not just to die for my sins, but He loves me today? And tomorrow, and he loved me yesterday, and he loves me the next day. What does that mean? Well, today I want us to spend some time looking at God's amazing love for you and for me. And not just that he died, sent his son to die on the cross. We're going to celebrate that in a couple weeks, Holy Week and then Easter. And remember the significance of that day. But the importance of that for you and for me every single day. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn to the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, it's page 946 in the Bibles that are in the seat in front of you. You can grab one of those and follow along, um, or you can follow along in your Bible app. Ephesians chapter 1 is where we're going to start. Paul wrote a lot about this concept of love, and later in the book of Ephesians in chapter 5, he writes about the love between a husband and wife, that, that relationship. Before he ever gets to the love between a husband and wife, he says, I want to talk to you about God's love for you. And I want you to try to grab hold of God's love for you. Ephesians chapter 1, look at verse 4. It says, For He chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. And the first thing Paul wants us to understand is that God chose us. God chose us. And there's something about all of us that wants to be chosen. Something about all of us that wants to be chosen. Uh, one of the few singing shows that I watch is the, song, the show entitled The Voice. And how many people watch the show The Voice? Uh, um, okay, a few hands there. Um, uh, the Voice is a singing show. It's a talent show. And they, uh, they select a group of 32 contestants, and then they narrow it down to the, person, the one person who they deem has the best voice. That's what the show is all about. Well, I don't ever watch the whole season. I don't do that. I like to watch the blind auditions. Say, so why do you like to watch the blind auditions? Because in the blind auditions, an individual has to go through a couple of qualifying rounds, and then they stand in front of an audience and the four judges, but the four judges have their back to the the singer. So they can't see them. They can't draw any conclusions about them. All they can do is hear their voice. And as they listen to their voice, they decide, is this someone whose voice that I think I can develop, that I think I can grow, that has a potential to win this competition? And they simply listen to their voice. And if they think, yes, I think that's someone that I want to choose, they hit a red button and their chairs spin around. And can you read what it says on the bottom of their chair? Say it together. I what? I want you. 
That's what it says at the bottom of their chairs. And there's not a single person here that doesn't want someone to want them. We all want someone to want us. And choosing happens all the time. It happens all the time. You might be with a group of friends and you're just picking sides to play a pickup game and or, or, a team, or, or a car table game, and you're picking sides. Who's going to be on what team? And you choose. But who do you, how do you choose your team? You choose your team based on um, who's the best athlete, or who's the best competitor, or who's going to give you what? The best chance at winning. You might get chosen at work. You're one of a number of candidates, and you're the person that's choosing the candidate. Who are you going to choose? You're going to choose a person that's most experienced, most qualified, best potential for growth. That's the one you're going to choose. Or maybe you're just trying to decide which line at Walmart to get in next time you're there, you know? And which line are you going to choose? The short, you, come on, guys. Which line are you going to choose? The shortest, yeah. Good thing for more scan and goes at the effort of Walmart, right? Scan and go. Get out of there as fast as I can. But how do we determine what we're choosing in all of those scenarios? We're choosing based on what's best for me. I'm choosing based on who's going to help me win the game, right? That's what I'm choosing based upon. I'm choosing who's going to help me turn a better profit, a bigger market share, have bonus money at the end of That's what I'm choosing. I'm choosing so I can get out of there as fast as I can. That's how I choose, based on what works for me. But what's the basis for God's choice? The basis for God's choice is His love. His love. For God so loved the world. He so loved the world. And He chose us, it goes on to say in this verse, He chose us before the creation of the world. He chose us before everything. You know, the amazing thing about that is God chose us before He knew if you were going to be a good guy or a jerk. You know, He chose you before He knew if you're a nice guy, if you're going to take advantage of other people. He chose us before all of those things. He chose us. To what end did He choose us? It says to be holy and blameless. The word blameless means no sin. No sin. Notice the last phrase, in whose sight? His sight, right? His sight. That's whose sight. You're not blameless, are you? I'm not blameless. Just ask your spouse or your kids. They'll tell you. They're all, no, they're far from perfect, right? Right? But in God's eyes, when God chooses you, when God picks you and says, you're going to be my own and you choose Him you're blameless. You're without sin in God's eyes. He then goes on to talk about it at the end of the verse. He says this, he says, in love, he predestined us to adoption of sonship, in love. This idea of adoption, it was part of that culture. The, the city of Ephesus, where this letter was sent to, they were actually a Roman colony. And so, Roman citizens had been settled there, and so it was basically run like a little Rome, Similar to in our cities where we have um, ethnic populations like uh, Little Italy or Chinatown, right? So this was Little Rome was what Ephesus was like. Well, in Rome, they had this concept of adoption where they didn't adopt little babies. They adopted grown men. You say, why would they adopt grown men? Well, the, Roman, the leading Roman citizens, they would want to pass down their, their estate, their reputation, their wealth... And they might not want to pass it down to one of their kids who didn't turn out the way they wanted to. And so they would adopt into their family as a son or as a daughter someone that they knew. 
someone that had the skills and the qualification and the reputation, and they were going to carry on their legacy. They were going to carry on the work that this individual had started. And so sonship, adoption looks very, very different in that culture. But it says God predestined us to, to be adopted. Predestined simply means to mark out a path. He planned out a path. You know, in the first service, we heard some stories of some things that God planned out for the individuals who came to faith in Christ. And that's what God does. He marks out a path for you to begin a relationship with Him. How did God decide on us? His pleasure, His will. He said, I want that one. I want that one. I'll take those three. I want that one. I want that one. When we decide on a relationship... Is this kind of how we start, you know, first date? You know, you kind of go on the first date. I love this picture. She's got her mouth full. He's gagging on something. I don't know what they're doing, but somebody snapped the picture. You know, the first date, you kind of go out and say, you know, I want to tell you all the horrible stuff that I've done, you know, and, and all the bad habits I have and all the things I wish it wasn't true of me. And, and if you're okay with all those things, we'll see where this goes. Maybe we have a future. Is that what you do on the first date? No way. No way. You want to put your best foot forward, Right? So you look good, you sound good, you got your best stories, you know, you're like, I'm not talking about that stuff, we're not going there, I'm keeping all that stuff hidden until what? It feels safe enough that I can trust them and they might not do what? Reject me if they know what I'm really like. That's how we enter relationships, right? That's how we enter them. That's not how God enters a relationship with us. He chooses us knowing all this stuff in our lives. It's even worse than that. Because Paul says that God chose us when we were enemies of God. We didn't want anything to do with God. And God says, I want that one. And if I was looking at that choice, I'd be like, why would you choose that one? That's a bad choice. God says, no, I want that one. That's the one I want. That's the one I want. Well, He not only chooses and adopts us, but He also redeems us. He also redeems us. It says, in Him, referring to what God does through Christ, we have redemption through His blood. Redemption is the idea to buy something back, something that got lost, something that got sold, something that got given away, you know, a family heirloom that disappeared and um, somebody found it and returned it. But God's not returning and buying back family heirlooms. God's buying back people's lives that are selfish, that are broken, that struggle, that have pain and heartache, God's buying all of them back with the blood of His Son. And lastly, He says there that um, he, lastly he says there that we're forgiven. We're forgiven. In the next five weeks, we're going to talk about the subject of forgiveness. And I hope you're going to be here. We're going to start it next week, and we're going to talk about the journey towards forgiveness. It's a pathway to freedom that God wants to offer each one of us. And free, forgiveness is simply releasing and letting go. And God says, there's no more penalty for your sin. No more penalty. Well, later on in the book of Ephesians, he starts to write about God's love. He said, this is what I've done. I've chosen you, and I've adopted you, and I've redeemed you, and I've forgiven you. And then he goes on a little bit later in verse 14. Skip over, skip over to chapter 3 and look in verse 14. He says this, he says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. 
And so the thing that Paul is going to talk about, he's praying these things. He's talking about kneeling and about praying. He's praying these things for the followers of Jesus. He's praying that they would come to know and understand and grasp and embrace these truths about Jesus. And then what is he praying that they would know? Well, he prays that they would know the power through his spirit. They would know God in them. But he goes on in the next verse to talk about it. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The reason he's praying is he wants Christ to be present in their hearts, to be present, to dwell. Not just to be a guest for the weekend, to take up residence, to dwell there. You know, in our house, we have a, you guys see me with my water bottle up here. I always had this water bottle and uh, there's a letter on the front. Can you see what's the letter on the front of that? Say a little louder. J, so this is John, so nobody touches this one. This is mine, you know. And we all have a water bottle with our name. We refill them just to have cold water. And uh, um, a few years ago, one of my son's good friends, um, Andrew, who's over at our house all the, all the time, I noticed Andrew got a water bottle in our fridge. I was like, how did that happen? Well, he's here all the time. Might as well give him his own water bottle. So he went from being just a guest to a stop in to taking up residence in our house. Well, now Andrew's in college. He still acts like he's not a guest when he's home from college. But, uh, but then a few months later, my daughter started dating a guy named Mark, and I noticed Mark got a water bottle in our fridge. And I'm like, wait a minute. He, they're not even engaged yet, and he's already taken up residence. I know he's here a lot, but Mark was here enough. He moved from guest to being a resident, and now he's got a water bottle in our house. And so I don't know what someone has to have in your house to kind of take up residence, no longer being guests. Maybe they just can go in your fridge and scrounge around and eat something. You know, I don't know what that is, but, but what, what does it take for someone to move from a guest to a resident? In our house, you get a water bottle. Um, but what Paul was praying, he was praying that Christ would take up residence in their hearts, in their hearts. Now, you say, so John, is, is he praying that they would choose to follow Jesus, to give their lives to Jesus? I don't think so, because he's already talked about them being chosen and adopted and redeemed and forgiven. I think what he's talking about is his prayer that somehow they would know that Christ was in them all the time, all the time. He says it this way in another verse. He says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Paul wanted them to understand there's this mystical union that takes place when you follow Jesus. And there's this mystical union of God in you, Christ in you through his spirit. And when that happens, it gives you the capacity to live in this world, to live in this world. He goes on to tell us a little bit more of what he's praying about in the next verse. He said, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love being rooted and established in love. Now, when you think about rooted, the first thing that you think of probably is the roots, right, of something, like there of a tree or of a plant. And a root system is critical, a healthy root system is critical for a tree or a plant to survive and for it to thrive. And when a tree goes down in a storm, one of the things that they know is that there's problems with the root system. And either the root system has decayed over time that's one of the reasons trees go down. Um, another reason that trees go down is if you uh, cut out a part of a wooded area and you put a house there, you run the risk of the trees in the area that you cut out the first couple years that you're there of those trees coming down. Why? Because they were previously in the, in the, um, in the woods. They were protected. 
So those trees have lost their protection and they'll go down. Um, another thing that happens is trees that get planted in the yard by themselves, those trees go down in a storm. Why? Because the roots aren't interconnected with anything else. You know, trees in a forest, their roots are interconnected with all the other trees and it keeps them upright through the storm. And what is Paul praying that their roots would hold on to, um, that they would praying that they would be rooted in love. They'd be rooted in love. He's not only praying that they would be rooted, which is an agricultural metaphor, but then he takes a building metaphor. He says, I want you to be established. He said, I want you to have a foundation that's below the, water, below the, below the, the ground that's going to keep you stable through the ups and downs of life. And if you don't have a solid foundation, when things come, it's going to cause a problem. One of the challenges with our, one of the newest challenges with our parking lot project is we have water come running off the, um, up on the hillside there across the road down. And, and Randy said, we've got to address that issue before we actually finish the parking lot because what we don't want is water running in there and storms and, and uh, snow build up and then melting. It'll go underneath and what looks like it's established over time, it'll erode and it'll collapse. And so what Paul's saying, he's saying, I want you established in God's love. And so the first thing that Paul wants them to know is he said, I want you to know that God loves you. And then he goes on to describe how much God loves us in the next verse. Excuse me, before I get to that, he said, I want you to have power together with all of the Lord's holy people. He said, I want you rooted and established in love, and then I want you locked arms with other people. Locked arms. That's one of the reasons we talk about small groups, about community groups here at CCC all the time. Um... We believe you have been created and designed to be in relationship. God said in the very beginning, it's not good to be alone. It's not good to be alone relationally. It's not good to be alone spiritually. And the reason that we challenge you towards that is we believe that you will not become the person God wants you to be if you are isolated and you're alone, if you're not locked arms in relationship. Because what will happen is the storms of life will hit you. The storms of life will hit all of us. And if you don't have some people that you're locked arms with, you won't make it through those storms. You'll be like that tree that goes down in the storm. And Paul says, I'm praying that you would be rooted and established in love and that you would be locked arms with God's people. And then he says, I want you to know about this love that God has. Um, um, Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. He says, I want you to grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ is. I think it's pretty obvious to most of us when storms come from the outside and we can't control them, right? You lose a job, no control over that. An accident like what happened with Johnny a few weeks ago, no control over that. Um, Those are storms on the outside that we can't control. But I think there's another kind of storm. Uh, it's a storm on the inside. You say, what do you mean a storm on the inside? I think the storms on the inside come from this thing called our fears. Our fears. And our fears are those kinds of things that nobody probably knows about. People know about the storms on the outside, the struggles that have happened to us. But people don't know about the fears on the inside. They say, what are you talking about? Well, fears like, am I good enough? Will I get it right and not mess things up? Will everyone feel cared for? Will I be viewed as a pushover or as a bully? Will I lead well? Those are just a few of mine. 
Fears are a different kind of storm because those are the fears that attack our soul, attack our soul. And while we need to be rooted and established in God's love to, to ride the ups and downs of life, I want to suggest to you that we have to be rooted in God's love to navigate the fears of our souls as well. And you can make up your own list. What are the things you're afraid of? What are the things you're afraid of? And Paul says, um, Paul says, I want you to be, go back to this. He says, I want you to know the love of God that's wide and long and high and deep. Wide and long and high and deep. Where Paul came up with this order, these words, I don't, we don't really know. But he said, somehow I want you to understand that God's love for you is bigger and far wider and deeper than anything you've ever known. And so when I wonder, am I good enough? I don't know. But I know God's love is bigger than that. When I wonder, will I get it right? I know God's love is going to be there whether I get it right or whether I don't get it right. When I wonder, will everyone feel cared for? I don't know. Fortunately, some probably won't, but God's love is going to be there no matter what. When I wonder, will I be a bully or a pushover or have a led well? God's love is going to walk with me no matter what it is I'm facing. And as I try to sit with this, this idea of God's love, what I realize is Paul wants us to do more than just know cognitively about God's love. I think the majority of this room, would, if I would ask you, um, do you know and believe that God loves you? The majority of the room might say, yes, I know it up here. But Paul wants you to take another step. Paul wants you to experience God's love. To experience God's love. Not just to know it in your head, but for you to experience it. And for you, when you face those ups and downs of life, when you face the fears of your soul, for you to know that God's love is there with you. And say, but John, that fear, just knowing God's love doesn't take away the fear. It won't always do that. But it'll give you the confidence and the comfort that you're not in it alone. And that's why at the end of Romans, Paul says this. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Are those fears going to keep me from that? Is my shame going to keep me from that? Paul says, no, nothing's going to separate you from the love of Christ. And he goes on the end to say, neither height nor depth or anything else will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul says, I want you to know God's love and I want you to experience it when you're facing the ups and downs of life, when you're facing the fears of your heart, for you to experience God's love and his presence there with you. But he has one final thing that he wants us to wrap our minds around, and that's not only to, to know it and experience it, but lastly, to be consumed by it, consumed by it. He goes on to say, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Paul wants us to get beyond just the knowledge, beyond the stuff up's here, then you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. We know what it's like to be filled up, right? You know what it's like to have your stomach full, I've had enough to eat, right? You know what it's like to to have a jar or a pitcher that's full and it's spilling over. Paul says, I want you to be filled up, filled up. And he says, to the measure of the fullness of God. He says, somehow I want you to be so filled up with God's love, so overwhelmed with God's love, so consumed with God's love that it starts to spill out in the lives of other people. And you know when someone's consumed by something, don't you? 
don't you? You know when someone's consumed by their sports team, right? You know when someone's consumed by their hobby. You know when someone's consumed by their work, right? You know when someone's consumed by something. We all know what that is. But what's it look like for us to be consumed with God's love? To be so filled up that it just pours out everywhere we are, everywhere we are. A few years ago when I was starting to eat healthy, one of the things that I wanted to do was to start make smoothies. And, uh, and so I did a little research, tried to find what, uh, what blender would be the best blender. And so I told my wife, um, you know, I would really love to have a Vitamix blender. And so guess what she got me for my birthday a few years ago? You guessed it, a Vitamix blender. And I was a happy camper when I got that Vitamix blender. Um, but I started to use it, and I started to realize, you know, you can put anything in there. You don't have to cut it up or de-seed it, take anything. You just throw it all in there. It grinds it all up, you know, grinds it all up. Stuff's frozen. You don't have to thaw it. Just throw it in there. Grinds it all up. It was amazing, amazing. And then what I discovered is when you're done using it to clean it, all you got to do is put a little soap, a little water, put it on there for 30 seconds, rinse it out, and you're done. It's amazing. So I went up to see my dad, and, he's, and I was telling him about it. He's like, oh, yeah, I got a blender, so let me show it to you. So he pulls it out and makes me a smoothie, and then he's got like 85 parts to rinse and dry, you know, before he gets this thing to put back. I'm like, Dad, Dad, you got the wrong blender. I'm sorry to tell you, you know. But I talk so much about this blender that my wife and kids thought I should either go on QVC or start, or start a part-time job at Costco to try to sell this blender. <laughs> because I talked about the thing so much. So like, you talk about that to Everybody. Everybody. And without realizing, I hadn't gotten consumed with my Vitamix blender, you know? Gotten consumed with the thing. How crazy is that? But I, had, I knew about it. I'd done my research, right? And then I experienced it over and over and over again so much that I just couldn't help talk about it. And that's what God wants to see happen in our lives. That's what Paul was praying would happen in the lives of those Christ followers. Paul was praying that they would not only know God's love, but they would experience it through the ups and downs of life, through the fears of their own heart, that they would be consumed with it and it would pour out in the lives of other people. And I believe that's what God wants for us. That's what God wants for us. And that's what God wants before any relationship. He wants us to have that kind of relationship with him. You know, I believe, as I said earlier, we all know about God's love. We're going to talk about that. We're going to celebrate that Holy Week in just a week from now as we remember Jesus' death on the cross, His ultimate sacrifice, um, His burial, and His amazing resurrection that changes everything. But I wonder how many of us have experienced God's love in those moments. And I've got to be honest for you, I didn't really understand what this looked like or even how to do this in my own life. It's taken me over the last year and a half just to remind myself regularly about who God is and His never-ending, overwhelming love for me. To sit with my fears, to sit with my shortcomings, and to know that no matter what, God loves me. No matter what. God protects me. No matter what, God provides for me. Because if I don't sit in the reality of God's love when I'm faced with that, you know where I go? I go to strategizing. That's where I go. I go to self-protection. 
I go to taking care of things and fixing it myself, and I don't really need God. But if I sit in the reality of God's love, and I remind myself of this truth, and I walk in it over time, God slowly fills me up and consumes me with His love. doesn't happen every day, 100%, all the time. And it feels like some days I start all over. But I'm ready to walk towards that and live in that every single day. And so I want you to ask yourself this question, how do I experience God's love? How do I experience? Is it just something up here in my head? I kind of know about it. I know the verses. I know the truth. Um, but I've never really got to the experiential side, John. I haven't really got there. I want to challenge you to do something. I want to challenge you to write down your fears. Write down those fears. And the next time one pops up, they say, God, help me to remember that you love me no matter what. Some of you, those fears are very present. And they, at times, can be paralyzing to you. Others, you've kind of buried and pushed those fears aside. I'm not afraid of anything. Push it aside. That's what I did. Push it all aside. And I'd sit with this for a while and say, God, what is it that I'm afraid of? What am I afraid will happen? And will you be there when it does? And the next time you encounter that, remind yourself of God's amazing love for you. John put it this way. He said, perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. And the way I like to say it is perfect love kicks fear's butt. That's the way I like to say it. And so what God wants to see happen in your life is for you to know and experience and then to be consumed with God's love. We bow our heads and pray with me as we close. God, your love is something that is hard to wrap our minds around. And yet the truth of it is real. Um, and God, I pray for us to be able to walk past just the experience of your love, or past the knowledge of your love and into the experience of your love. That it's never-ending, all-consuming, overwhelming love for us. And that, God, it came to us when we didn't deserve it. We had done nothing to earn it, and you offered it. And so, God, my prayer this morning is that even as we sing this next song, that we would be able to, um, um, this week, even today, experience and move towards being consumed by your